Hello and welcome along to the Unplugged Pod, where each week we explore absolutely everything to do with switching off in a world that's always on. I'm David and alongside me, as ever, is Mr Unplugged, Hector Hughes. This week we're joined by Lottie Unwin. Lottie is the founder and CEO of Upworld and we're going to be talking about her experience with stress and breakdown and also being the new year, New Year's resolutions. Enjoy. The Lottie. Hi. Hi. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you very much for coming along uh, to the Unplugged Pod. My pleasure. 14. It's great to have you here. Appreciate the time. Uh, we'll start how we always start on the Unplugged Pod, but asking you, how do you unplug? I know. I wish it was an easier question. Um, well, not that well is my starting point, which is kind of how Hector and I became friends, because I... Um, feel very inspired by his state of unplugged at all times. Um, my like coping mechanisms are all to do with exercise and movement. So CrossFit every day, that's like essential to my sanity. And that's an hour, it's like an hour and a half without my phone. So I 15 minute walk, don't look at my phone, an hour in the gym, 15 minutes back. And that like sets up my day. So that's pretty imperative. And then walking wherever possible. So like walk a walking meeting every day, walking two meetings wherever possible, like walked, like took an hour out of my day to walk here as opposed to just like getting my bike. I used to cycle everywhere and I found that was actually really like contributing to my anxiety. So I think about it, I guess my, my, like my answer to that is in micro terms. I think about it within the day and that's just about finding time out and that's all about movement. And then in like in a macro sense, um, it's just about taking loads of holiday. <laughs> <laughs> genuinely you work for ben's company he said he has unlimited holiday well no one else in my company does but i do <laughs> policy that is for founders and directors only um i take a lot of time off and that's been a real journey that's not been that's not always been the case but last year i have no idea how many days of holiday i took but it is well over 30 the counter argument to that is like the number of weekends and evenings i worked is well over 30 so i think it nets out but I'm pretty rigorous about taking big chunks of time. And so that's kind of my answer, like micro movement, macro, loads of holiday. And when you're off, are you like off, off, like unreachable? No, I'm not. I am increasingly disciplined. And you, you could literally year after year, like of my business's growth, you could track the improvements and like the changes I've made to get this balance better, mm. um, which I think has been totally necessary. I think like in the early years, I absolutely killed myself. And I think I had to, I don't think I'd be where I was if I hadn't put all of that in. Um, but now it's, it's a balance. So I took three weeks out in August and went to Columbia, branded it my sabbatical, which was just like a ruse to stop me feeling guilty about taking yet another mega holiday. (laughs) (laughs) It was pretty, pretty clever bit of rebranding on my behalf. Um, and I worked an hour a day there and that was like pretty, pretty clear. I was pretty like disciplined about when that would be typically meant I just get up super early do an hour with my coffee first thing in the morning and then like close my laptop and that'll be it. Or like end of the day, I do an hour. So I'm not offline. I'm just time boxing space. And for me, like the perspective of just being somewhere else does a huge amount of good. I don't necessarily need to be like totally blackout to get the benefits. And it, it, CrossFit, you do that every seven days a week? Or? Not seven days. Like yeah. my cranky hips would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would like fully collapse. But yeah, I'm, I definitely move. I'd say like five days a week, I'm in the gym yeah. and then I like make a real effort on those other days to make sure I'm getting that with yoga or walking. And are you thinking about work or are you just kind of in the zone when you're 
as much as possible, I try and treat it like meditation. Like we've spoken about my like pathetic attempts to meditate. I can't do it, but I can spend 45 minutes watching a clock, like doing whatever that sweaty thing is. And that takes me to a different place. And I really notice thoughts come back in and how like my body's response to those thoughts falls apart. So I will like find myself just like stopping in a workout and it'll be because something's popped into my head about work. So I, I find it like a great way to bring awareness to the, like the role that work thoughts are playing in my head. Yeah. What was it like um, just working one hour a day? Cause I think that would be a great experiment if everyone just had to condense all their work into one hour a day and see if businesses and companies and life still manage to plod on in the same way. Cause like, that's like super. So I like, wish my team were here to give you the answer to that question. <laughs> Cause there's two very different perspectives. I had a great time. <laughs> I spent an hour a day basically being a whip cracker and quality control. And with that perspective, I just saw the wood from the trees so clearly. Like stuff that I would have let slide, but I, like, I think I was more effective because I would have let loads of stuff slide when I was like in the weeds and unable to see like with that level of distance, like, no, that's not good enough or that's not what we need or that's not the right strategy. Um, so it, was, it worked really well. I just used it to focus on the key meetings. I wasn't in the key meetings, so I was watching recordings of them, which again was a super interesting exercise. So I was like transcribing the recordings. You can imagine how difficult this was for the people on the other end of this, like transcribing the key meetings, going through and like adding comments to the transcriptions while I was watching them. And you oh. actively listen in such a different way when you know you don't have to respond and you know your body language isn't being watched. Like I think as leaders, we actually spend a lot of time in meetings worrying about how we're being perceived, not about our contribution. And so if you know that that happened 24 hours ago, and your contribution is to provide like a really synthesized, pithy opinion on what needs to happen as a result of information shared, then you can do that in a really clear way. So it's really helpful. Um, they hated it because all I did was be neggy, <laughs> which was a huge learning. Like if I did it again, huge, huge learning, which is like that hour a day needs to be 20 minutes of making the team feel amazing. And then you can do your 40 minutes of like reflecting and, and but I was kind of just this like demon this like slack demon that would just like sprinkle in a load of like, this is late, this is late, this isn't good enough, this isn't good enough. And I think it was great, actually, it was actually a great month in terms of like business transition, um, but not necessarily a great month for morale, other than mine. <laughs> One hour a day, sounds about right, Hector. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, work expands for all the time available, as you know. So I, I do think there is a lot of wisdom in that. And uh, that's really interesting what you said about the, the meters. We do spend a lot of time thinking about we spoke a bit beforehand because i know you're mostly remote now um about like being in the office there is just a lot of that narrative like for all being honest with ourselves you are thinking about like how am i coming across or blah 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 and like, it's just just such a waste of time well you just there's all of that pressure about having to be nice about a, like enough stuff yeah you've got to be a little bit nice <laughs> you've got to be a little bit nice well yeah i just i think like your role is so complicated when you're in like a big team yeah, sure. setup and you're trying to process what you're being told while you're coming up with a response, while you're trying to make sure that response is both motivating, but also helpfully critical. And, and also like at times you don't know what your response is. Like there are times where you're like, I, I just need to process this. Um, and so it really gave me the ability to process. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if you saw uh, Jeff Bezos's interview recently, one of the like, only long form interviews he's ever done. And he was talking about, uh, in meetings, he only has two rules. Um, the first one is like, he always speaks last, but it just goes, you know, it goes in parallel with what you were saying is 
people are going to naturally be influenced by what the most powerful person is saying. So like, if he just speaks last, he knows that no one uh, will be influenced until, until he says anything. And he buys himself time to think. For sure. <laughs> That's what yeah. he's really doing. There. And he also said, I don't know whether you saw this, but he also said that the person that leads the meeting has to uh, come up with like a two-page document that they worked on yeah, yeah, yeah. for like a month. And the so Amazon he wants way. like a very clean yeah. document and then a messy meeting afterwards. I've never heard anyone talk about that. I think it's, it's brilliant. And the first 15 minutes of all Amazon meetings are just, reading the document. Yeah. And I suppose someone that worked at Amazon, they were like, that is top down to like yeah, yeah, it no actually where you are. Yeah, that really does happen. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Very unique. But I, I think that is very hard to implement. Like it's just like deeply in their DNA. Like a lot of people I, I know have like tried it. And I think it was one of those where it ends up being a lot of admin. Uh, unless you can really, you know, th- there's a very painful period of a few months when you're trying to integrate that. So I have not met anyone else who does that successfully, even though you know it's been it's been quite talked about now. So uh, yeah, I think lovely idea, um, but Amazon have done a great job to, to implement. <laughs> what's a, what's an unplug meeting like? Incense and like is it a bit, you know, <laughs> meditate? Um, it's it's pretty chill. It's pretty like relaxed. I think. We try and not spend too much time in meetings. So it's, it's also pretty to the point. Like Ben and I are both, um, I would say, quite like simple people, quite like blunt, not not in like a um, abrasive way, but just quite like, you know, to the point. So there's there's not a whole lot of like, you know, celebrating wins and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. There's a bit of, there's a bit of like, this is great, but it's very like, okay, what do we need to talk about? Let's talk about it. Let's move on, you know? So I've, I've been very careful to like remove meetings. So I don't have many now. We'll do like a marketing meeting, an ops meeting. Um, and then I have one-on-ones with a few people, but like try and, try and keep it pretty simple. So yeah, most things don't need to be a, a meeting. Um, but good question. Like Lottie said, you probably ask other people in the team and they'll be like, oh, it's a fucking joke. You know, mm. this guy's just swan in. And <laughs> so yeah, try and, try and keep it light touch. Let's um let's talk a little bit about Upworld then, Lottie. Formerly the Copy Club, yeah, that's what it was called, yeah. So what what was your journey to get to that point, and and what's uh, what's going on with Upworld? Um, so how long ago? Like Ten years ago now. I was at big business working at Procter and Gamble, like skipping into the office in Weybridge in my suit and heels. It feels like literally a lifetime ago. I was like little grad kid learning marketing. Um, absolutely loved like loved marketing, felt this weird, like just felt like I'd lucked out, like found this thing that I thought was so fascinating and that I was getting taught and sent to courses around the world and like having so much invested in me, but I was completely bouncing off the walls at a big business. So I left to go and work in a startup and I was head of marketing at Proper that makes popcorn and lentil crisps and stuff. And um, just had the crash landing of a lifetime. Like I'd been a straight A star student, went to Cambridge and never failed at anything. And suddenly it was like, beyond out of my depth in a startup just thinking that I had all the answers because P&G had kind of given me this feeling of invincibility and had really like drilled into you like you're the best you're doing the best marketing training in the world like this is the best place to work this is the best place to start your career and when I left they were like like you're literally create like committing career so it's like what like what are you doing you're never gonna work again but that meant I turned up in this startup and I was like guys I'm pretty good like I actually know quite a lot about marketing and what I knew was how to spend 14 million pounds on tv ads when I had an agency that would press all the buttons I didn't know how to sell popcorn like literally had no idea and I found it really hard like it was way more of a profound change than like oh I'm a bit bad at my job it was like the first time that I had really sucked 
And uh, the only way I learn is through other people. Like I've never been particularly book smart, which is ironic for someone with an English degree, but like that was another rocky road. Um, so I started a supper club for other people in marketing, like other heads of marketing and startups, just to get a bit of a sense of like camaraderie. I was just like, I just need to be reassured that other people are finding this stuff hard too. And that, that was really the beginning. And then there's this kind of weird snowball with like loads of milestones in the way, but basically first supper club has somehow snowballed into what we are today, which is a business called Upworld, where we offer community and training to people in marketing roles in entrepreneurial businesses. So we're now a bit bigger than just startups. There are lots of people in there who are in big companies um, under a lot of pressure to think like a startup who are like being challenged by challenger brands. And they're, you know, they're like corporate bosses are like, be more startup. And they're like, what? Like, what does that mean? So there's a lot of people involved in the community who are kind of there as voyeurs and then lots of lonesome marketeers in startups. 1,200 members. We do training courses, community um, and recruitment. And then I run another business called Brand Hackers where we run outsourced marketing teams for startups. Okay. Nice. Lots going on. Yeah. <laughs> it's all startup marketing. It's not one hour a day anymore then, Lottie? No. I'm a little bit overcommitted. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm also a, an advisor for, for a business so I kind of have two businesses and one job um and yeah there's a lot going on but it's all like to my brain it's all the same stuff mm-hmm. it's all the same thing which is how do you help businesses who have limited resources grow and individuals within them thrive and with joining that job that you say you sucked at like yeah. and then having the supper clubs and presumably at some point figuring it out and, and yeah, getting yeah. good at that like, what did that Not whole sucking. process look like um well, I think the knowledge that I wasn't alone gave me the confidence to start engaging my brain again. And like even today, the benefits of the community are so clearly twofold. There's the practical stuff, which is like my videographer's dropped out tomorrow. Can someone help me? Or um, like someone literally just posted, like I've been asked to do a blended CPM for a global campaign. I've got no idea what that means. And you know, 20 people are like, right, I'm calling you now. You know, there's that sort of stuff, which is really helpful. But then there's the feeling that you're not an idiot for not knowing what those things are. And I think the like stress and anxiety that's sometimes imposter syndrome is other times just lack of confidence or is just like genuine lack of experience. That kind of basically makes you incapable of action goes away and that began to go away when I like sat down for dinner month after month with a ton of other people who were all in jobs that looked to my eyes incredibly impressive and they had no better answers for anything than I did and and coming away from that not feeling like they were the idiots but for feeling like actually we were all just really bright people having a go at it Um, and I think that that meant that I was able to go back to basics which is like still how I approach any marketing challenge today which is literally a piece of paper with the words like how do you sell more x like that's all we're doing your case it's like how do you sell more cabin stays how do you sell more podcast bookings how do you sell more plants like that is a marketing plan and yet we get so wrapped up in industry nonsense we actually forget to ask like answer that key question so I got I got good and now I now I have like now I really believe that there are many things I'm not good at but I do know how to help a small brand grow. Yeah. And has going through that yourself and like the stress of not knowing how to do it. And you mentioned going through a lot of mental health stuff yourself. Has that changed how you now run the company? 
or impacted how you how you run it uh hugely like it's changing all the time um and i mean it's there's so many different there's so many different like ways into that so there's like my own mental health journey and and where we can talk about that and how that's changed the way i think about the company but then there's also like the practical the practical learning curve of like understanding what prioritization actually means like you can preach it but when you're like in another week where you've done a thousand things and achieved nothing and then another week and then another week and another quarter and another quarter and you start to like understand what saying no to stuff actually entails and the impact on the PL of those decisions I think it's it's like hugely shaped the way I run the business and the and the advice I give to like a lot of my job is to work with founders and that's that that experience of living it firsthand has been so helpful in being like credible and like empathetic. Yeah. So what 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 was your mental health journey? Um. Well, this comes back to why I take so much holiday. <laughs> <laughs> why do I get to go on holiday all the time? Um. I think, I think I've always been anxious, like well before there was the language for anxiety. I think we take it for granted now that there's actually terms for this stuff. As a teenager, I don't think any, anyone would have diagnosed me with any like underlying mental health challenges. They would have just been like, she's a stressor. But I really was stressed. Like I was really, really uptight and I had this quite chronic um, like belief system that I'm never good enough. And so that was always bubbling away. And then... I started building a business, which was a passion project for a long time. So Copy Club, the supper clubs existed for years and years while I was working. Then I went freelance, broke, moved to India with my ex-boyfriend, broke up with him after nine years and kind of found myself like single in Delhi with no career and then began to turn the side hustle into a business. But like from a place of like really needing to prove a lot to myself so I think like the foundations for that were quite shaky like needing to prove a lot to myself anyway and then in that particular moment of life having a lot to prove so I went at it like I absolutely gunned the first two three years of building a business and that was doing that alone from my kitchen table in India and then going into lockdown in India getting like the last like the evacuation flights had all left and I was like refusing to leave and then like finally got an Air India flight back two weeks before my 30th birthday because I was like, I can't be dumped. I've been dumped again there. and was like, I can't, I can't sit in 44 degrees on my own with armed guards outside because like a Delhi lockdown was an intense thing. Like I've got to get home. So like finally, yeah, finally like bit the bullet and just jumped on a plane after the embassy had been like, the last plane has left. Are you okay with this? And I was like, yeah, I'm okay with that. And two weeks later, I just went on to Air India and bought a ticket. It was the most bizarre like, fudge. But anyway, got back, to, got back to London and kind of kept going with this really flat out journey to, to just do whatever I could to make this business work um, without really knowing where I was going, without really a vision, just with this sense of like, I had to keep pushing and I had to keep hiring and I had to keep bringing in revenue to keep hiring and I'm completely bootstrapped. So every there was no way through that other than just grit like it was all about get the cash in the way I got the cash in was by doing work myself at the highest possible day rate I could that gave me the bandwidth to then grow out the team just like rinse and repeat so I was just working really 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 hard for a very long time 
And then there was a day um, in like March, I think it was two, three years ago now, where um, I just fell over in the shower and couldn't stand up and just like knew that my brain had broken. Um, and, and that, yeah, it was a breakdown. I was six weeks in bed, like moving from, you know, like weeks of literally staring at a wall through to like walking, you know, like 10 meters down the road and back and that being my afternoon activity and like slowly, slowly kind of by the end of those six weeks, I was going back to two hours a day at work and then building it back up from there. And it was a proper, yeah, it was like a year of recovery, but I basically learned that you can break your brain, um, which was not something I believed was true. Like I thought, I was like, oh, I put myself under loads of pressure, but like brains, I hadn't really even thought, I hadn't even finished that sentence. It wasn't like, but brains don't break. It was just like, that's who I am. It was, yeah, it, that's how it felt. It was like, that's my identity. It was like, I'm always someone who's really stressed and that's just my identity. And then I kind of realized that it might, like, I don't want to say it might kill me, but like it could absolutely render me incapable. Um, and that's been just such a pivotal moment. Like I can literally trace like life before then and life after then and how my priorities have, have, to, have had to shift so significantly um, to make sure that I never ever go back there again. And that the journey has been like, it's a positive journey from there. And it's, it's not an incident that I like regret or wish hadn't happened, um, but it was pretty transformative. Gosh, thank you for sharing. Yeah, it's amazing how you look back on these things as like that was the thing that yeah. kind of changed I, I feel really strongly about sharing it. Like I really look for opportunities to talk about it because I think that it is, I think it's wonderful that there's more language around this stuff. And I think that's great. And I, I'm like so proud to run a business and to work with other businesses that have mental health support. Um, yet I still think there's such a such a lack of awareness of how physical it can be and how extreme this stuff is. I actually think the socialization of it's made it um like dare I say normalized it. It's like, oh you you don't have anxiety, like how oh, weird. <laughs> like, are you okay? <laughs> like are you actually part of modern society? And I think that's quite problematic because it's made it it's made it like something you put on a mug like I I used to talk a lot in the I did a lot of podcasts the year after because it was really part I was like if I can share this stuff at least something positive can come out of it and I talked a lot about um how the word workaholic is just isn't it just isn't taken seriously at all like we have to it's the same around addictions to food actually like work and food are things that we have to do so you can't say well they're quite addictive so just don't do them like it's not a it's not a like society couldn't function if that view was works quite addictive so let's just all stop doing it but it is super addictive and I come from a family with quite crippling history of addiction and have really seen up close how drug addiction and alcohol addiction can ruin your life and work addiction ruined mine but I could go to like accessorize and get like a unicorn mouse mat with workaholic on it like it's this like kooky you know it's still seen as like kind of kind of cute like she loves her job she's a workaholic it's like that is not i'm not gonna wear an alcoholic t-shirt because <laughs> most people can't the reason i think that is is because most people can't possibly comprehend working so much that they'd have that kind of breakdown right like i consider myself a, a hard worker but to push myself with work to that kind of point uh, where you know you said your 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 brain felt like it was broken right 
But that's, that's too difficult for most people to understand. So they just put that as like, oh, workaholics. It's almost like a, a comical thing. Because maybe in your worlds, like I understand that founders probably do put in more. Well, I'm not even sure I want to say that because there's a lot of people that work for, you know, if, if you're a nurse working overnight or whatever. So it's, 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 but most people just can't comprehend that, I guess. I think it's a bit that, but then most people can't comprehend having an addictive relationship with alcohol that gives them liver damage. And yet... Sure. they wouldn't like they wouldn't trivialize that i think there's a glamorization around working really hard and there's a culture of status that comes with graft and like the word hustle and all of the like different connotations that come with that i think there's still yeah i think there's still real glamour associated and i think founders have to pull themselves together because we have this narrative of like well, we work so hard which is just nonsense like loads of people in senior business roles work much harder than we do. We have the authority to say like, I'm going to do, you know, hectic and say like, I don't want to go to that many meetings. Most people can't do that. They have to show up to the meetings and they have to do all of the work. And I can say, I'm going to take loads of holiday. Like we need to stop this narrative that we have a really hard life. Firstly, because we've chosen it. So like do something else. All of us are eminently employable. So like, honestly, we just need to stop it. And secondly, there are lots of people that work harder than us. But I think there's a real glamour around it and I think it's really toxic. And that's why I talk about it. Because if I can do, if I can like reach out to a couple of people who are like, I think that resonates. I feel kind of close to that. And I can say like, this will be physical. Like something will, if you keep going, something will happen to you, which is exactly the same as being like, my ankle really hurts. My ankle really hurts. I'm going to keep training for that marathon. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. Like, and then you can't walk. It's exactly the same. Our brain has like a, physical role in the same way any body part would and we shouldn't wear it out what what, what did it actually feel like when you you said you're in the shower did you say that were yeah you... i was in the sh i can't really remember which i've got two memories one was i was in the shower and i fell over or like slumped over and was just sitting there like just kind of like completely vacant and there's a woman in my business who at the time was a coach who thankfully had been through a similar experience many years ago. And I messaged her and I don't know what I said, but she like clearly was like, this is a, this is an absolute SOS cry. So was like, I'm taking over your business. I'm running your company. Goodbye. I will call you in three weeks time. And I know that I didn't fight it. I was like, okay, great. So that's one memory. And then I have another memory, which I think must have been before, but I can't quite work out the timeline, which I think is like in itself, like the fact that this is just like a massive blur feels quite telling because like I really couldn't think. I have another memory of getting a smear test and sobbing and the poor male doctor thinking I was sobbing because he was there. And I couldn't find the words to be like, mate, I literally don't give a fuck. <laughs> you do whatever you need to do. Like, this is not about you looking between my legs. Like, I, that is not what's going on right now. Like, something is happening in my brain and I can't articulate it. And then I went home because I was staying at my mum and dad's and I read and I got an email and it wasn't a difficult email, but it was just like the email that all of us get 20 times a day, which requires like a bit of cognitive processing. And all I could hear was like grey, like computer that like tv crackle noise where it's just like eh, like nothing was happening and i was like it, it's not working like i can't i can't process um 
so I have these like two days in my head. I don't know which way round they happened, but like that was the that was the feeling at the time of just like complete inability to process a single thought. Um, so yeah, as I said, I literally lay in bed and stared at a wall for a bit, and then I um, began to get up a bit more. I ate glass on toast one day, which was a I smashed a jar of jam, and it had loads of glass in it. And so I just put it on toast and was like eating it. And then my partner who was in Saudi Arabia at the time, either called me, I wasn't really, I couldn't really have a conversation with anyone, but I remember saying to him, I just ate glass on toast. And he was like, okay, babe, (laughs) (laughs) right. Um, So it's all a blur. Yeah, like what, you you need to stop, you need to not do that. Like stop, stop doing that. I'm gonna order your takeaway. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And what, what? what did that kind of recovery look like? Like a year's time, were you kind of completely fine or I guess that never quite leaves you? I don't think I'll ever be completely fine. Yeah. Or that I don't want to be because I think if I go back to that place of like the fallacy of invincibility, then we're like back to where we were. So no desire to be fully recovered. And I think like that chip on my shoulder is really important and is now quite defining. Um, The journey was really controlled and I would, you know, like, this woman B who is still like my right hand person um, who stepped in at that point and you know in doing so made herself pretty indispensable forever um, because she knew and this is again why I talk about it like you've got to have people around you who know how this stuff works this is not a skill set that we're born with this is like a very particular learning experience that you go through when you watch someone do this so the initial support was um, basically just about making making it as easy as possible for me to communicate. So instead of asking someone how they're doing, which requires them to give an answer, just ask them how they are on a scale of one to 10. Like all, all you do is you ask for a number and that number then like allows you to make different decisions. So if I was above a five, it was like immediately straight back to bed, all food was sorted for me, like below a five. If I was at like f- four, five, six, it was like, okay, let's think about how we can make some baby steps. Like what could be the the job of the day? So like one day I made cupcakes and that was like a huge, it's like, great. That's a, that's like a day's task. Like I can achieve this. And that was like a six or like a six day. And then if you're seven plus, you then start to think about like normalizing back into way of doing stuff. And so that was really helpful. That was like the first bit of like gauging how I was doing. And then we went into really quite controlled chunks of work. So I was allowed back in for first two hours a day and then, building up to that and then for a long time I had to send a selfie every time I left the office <laughs> to prove to prove that I'd left my co-working space like proper accountability yeah there's some good systems in place yeah I mean and, and this it didn't last that long like the progress was quite quick um but it was quite careful and then off the back of that like movement being super important eight hours sleep a night completely mandatory like that will not like I will not budge on that I get into bed and I tell Alexa to wake me up in eight hours time I don't set my alarm so it's just like how can you re how like I had to think about how can I rewire my life so that my mental health is the first thing that matters not the not like squeezed in around the sides um and then yeah lots of holiday and then I slip up like there were definitely moments last year where I felt pretty mad, but just getting better and better at pulling it back together. Well, what is your, what would you say your kind of daily relationship to work is now? Now? 
I'm either on or not. So like in a working week, I'm pretty, like there isn't much time around the sides. But that's because I've put a lot of time in as non-negotiable. So I'll be like, oh, there's not enough, you know, and I, I, I say this like with working parents in mind, kind of laughing at myself. And I'm like, I'm so busy, like occasionally washing my clothes and like making sure there's eggs in the fridge. Like we're fine. We're all fine. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, work takes up a lot of the space, but the rest of the space has been like carefully protected for me to have my nutritious meals and get my eight hour sleep and do my exercise and all that. So it's, it's manageable for sure. Um, so you're obviously addicted to, to work as you, as you say, right? There's yeah. Recovering. Uh, there's obviously many ways to build a company. Um, like Hector, in any part of your journey with unplugged, have you felt, if not addicted to work, then addicted to the process? Definitely addicted to the process. Yeah. I, um, I, I'm quite a lazy worker, so I, I, I don't have the problem of like putting in 13 hour, 14 hour days. Like it's just not in my DNA. Like I'll do a bit in the morning and then, you know, it's like swan around, speak some people in the afternoon. Like it'll get, it's all pretty casual after that. And then maybe check back in the evening. Um, but, but, but still like, like there's a difference between how much time you spend in grinding away a laptop and like how much you thinking about it and obsessing about it. And like, it's, it's full on for sure, because I think it's very hard. One of the biggest challenges, uh, I think with being a founder is it's so easy to just have all of your identity wrapped up in that startup. And so then you just take everything, you know, everything's really exciting or everything's kind of, um, you know, a challenge to your identity if, if something goes wrong, et cetera. And I think over time, as you see the trials and tribulations and the failures and you, you go through all those things, that starts to kind of lessen over time. Um, but it's still... You know, it, it's. I even find the the, the really exciting times. Uh, like, if anything, that's just a different challenge, right? Whereas, like, it's really hard not to be kind of, you know, checking stuff the whole time and doing stuff, etc. So, I think it is a lifestyle choice for sure. Like, just as an endeavor, like it very much is a. It's going to take up a lot of brain space. It needs to be the main thing, really. Um, but I also think having other pillars to your life so you talk about health relationships you know just kind of making sure that uh that all of those are there just helps take some of that identity away from that you know if you're everything's in your company including your health and relationships and you know you all of that's been sacrificed then suddenly when you get the email that your biggest customer's churned or whatever it might be then suddenly that's a much bigger blow and i think the biggest risk to any startup or the biggest challenge is yeah, as you were talking about like psychology really like you, you kind of see what can happen um, and so I think there's not enough talk about prioritizing that. There's almost like, you know, mental, there's a lot of talk about like founder mental health, but it, it almost, as soon as you like mention mental health, it's kind of like well being and like is a bit of a wishy washy topic, you know? But it's like we're not just talking about, and then it's easy for people to kind of shrug it off and it's like, no, I'm just a, you know, I'm just someone who can fucking smash out 80 hour weeks. But, but it's like actually reframing it as, you know, for a lot of people, like I am I am a lot better at my job, not good at it, but better at it when I'm in a good frame of mind, when I'm happy, when I'm healthy. Um, and so I think the weeks that I'm less busy, that I'm kind of, you know, really taking time to reflect and recharge, et cetera, like I just do a better job, you know? And the weeks that I'm busier, it's just a lot of inconsequential shit, you know? It's like a lot of meetings that I shouldn't be taking, a lot of emails about projects we shouldn't be doing and it's just 
and I feel like we spoke earlier about the kind of workaholic versus alcoholic. And I think part of the problem with the, the workaholic or the challenge is that if it always like when you're really making yourself busy, like it feels like you need to be busier all the time. Right. Whereas like with alcohol, the good thing is when you wake up and you've got a terrible hangover, like a, a bit of he's like, fuck, that's clearly bad for me. But I think with the work thing, it's like not the only way is like I need to be busier and busier and busier. And it's like when stuff's not going well, then it's easy. Like I feel like it's very insecurity driven and I, I've been there many times to, to just get busier. It's like I have not solved the situation, so I just need to get busy with stuff. So I feel like I'm doing my job, you know. And so actually, I think when I'm less busy is when I'm the most like self-assured yeah. of like I'm doing what I need to be doing, you know, and, and just kind of being there for, for everyone. I think we need to clarify, like the definition of addiction, I'm going to slightly misquote this, but it's when it's doing damage to you or those around you. And I think there's a really important distinction between a healthy relationship to work when you do it, when you have a job you love and you can be obsessed or you can be really passionate and it can be all consuming and you can choose to not to have a different work life balance, because as you say, like being a founder is a lifestyle and that can be a really positive thing that that in my eyes is very different to an addictive relationship to work when there is a tangible negative impact on you and people around you. But what I think what it's, you're beginning to say something super interesting around the way we talk about founder mental health. So we always talk about it as though we're aiming for like, okay, that it's all about offsetting bad. But actually there's a whole other side of this coin, which is like, what if you have excellent founder mental health? Like, you know, if you're in like peak mental health condition in the way you talk about being like peak physically fit, if you're peak mentally fit, what does that mean? And I think like I'm going into this year feeling really excited that I'm at a point where that's now my priority. Like I'm no longer just trying to mitigate risk, but I'm now like optimizing for future gain. And so, and that's, that comes both at like a personal point where I'm comfortable enough that I'm not on the edge, but also professionally at a point where my job is now about decision-making. It's not about grind. And that, because of the kind of business I run was a real tipping point for the first couple of years genuinely volume of emails sent equaled output and I know that sounds deeply unstrategic but in some ways it was true it was literally just do enough work make enough money stay alive <laughs> then we hit a point where that wasn't the game anymore because there was a big enough team and there was enough financial security that we were going to stay alive and now my job is do the three most important things they're going to have the biggest impact or set the like set the optimum internal culture to motivate the team and those things don't just require me to be like okay on a mental health level like I can't do that if I'm just surviving I have to be in a really great place to do that stuff and um, so I think that's a really exciting way of thinking about it yeah and I think when you know when any leader interacts with the team the people they're working with like those people are then going to go away and do work and they're so impacted by how that interaction has gone. And if you have a leader who is stressed and they're tired and they come in and, you know, they're grouchy, then people are just going to take that and, and they're going to be less motivated. They're going to think, well, what, was, what was wrong with them, etc. But if you come in and, you know, you're confident, you're calm, they just think like, everything's great you know like the the boss is fine if you know if, if you're coming in and you're visibly stressed and they think like what then i know you know like what what's what's going on but uh so yeah i think almost the the thing i try and prioritize more than anything else is like just putting on like a calm and, and positive front all right 
probably leads pretty naturally into uh, start of 2024. Yeah. New Year's resolutions. Yeah. Love them, hate them, not interested. What, what's, what's on the agenda, Hector? I, I read a really good book, which has come up on this podcast before a while ago, called When by Daniel Pink, which is the science of timing. Uh, and one of the things he speaks about in that book is how... Uh, take advantage of these changes these changes of the year etc because it's much easier to make resolutions because new year's resolutions just positive habits yeah. it's much easier to start them at the start of the year so it's a great excuse so i'm a, I'm a big fan of uh changing things i've got i've got some big changes this year i mean the big one is uh, uh be less busy so i'm going to do no evening plans for the next two months i have something this friday but apart from that i'm not going to do that because i mean every day, every day i'm just going to go home and read <laughs> that's all i'm going to do but the uh, mainly it's because I had so I've had a lot of health issues the last couple of years, like autoimmune stuff, and got a diagnosis in December for a leaky gut, uh, which is has been sounds glamorous at least. It yeah. does sound glamorous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They so, really need to sort the name I know, out there. I know. It needs Lots a rebrand. Yeah. Packed more of a punch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So leaky gut <laughs> like is, is, is what I've got. That. But so I have a very extreme diet to fix that, uh, which I'm excited about. So it's actually meat-based. I've been predominantly plant-based for a long time. Um, very controversial, but it's predominantly meat-based. It's a lot of grass-fed lamb and, and venison at the moment. Uh, and so that is obviously pretty awkward because it basically takes out, you basically can't eat out anyway. Yeah. So it means got to hit breakfast and, and a kind of late afternoon dinner. Yeah. So it's just it just gets much harder if I have evening plans. So for the next couple of months, I'm just going to crack on with that, get some exercise in first thing in the day, meditate, exercise, have some breakfast, uh, another meal in the evening, and then read in the evening, that's it. And then between the day, I'll do do the podcast, I'll do the run the company, all that kind of stuff. But like, I, just, I just don't need to be doing stuff first thing in the day and, and last thing in the day. It doesn't bring me energy, you know. I, I used to, had a decade, my own kind of journey to get here, I had a decade drinking a lot, taking a lot of drugs, and just part of me felt really kind of empty that like wasn't really living life on my terms and now i've stopped all of that and i feel so much better in control etc and i just love an evening in reading so i'm gonna do a lot of that i'm so interested to hear how you get on my brain is like you would go insane literally give me four days and i'd be bouncing off the walls but that i'm so interested and your venison breakfast wasn't a joke oh interesting <laughs> Um, Is this steak and Shakespeare for the next two months then? Yeah. So, uh, so like renaissance. <laughs> <laughs> Such a vibe. <laughs> we need to get you a rough. <laughs> what about you? Um, I am quite into resolutions, but in a, like I try not to put too much pressure on myself. I think a lot of my recovery has been moving away from goals. Like I used to always have some physical thing I was training for and I just don't I don't need to prove anything to anyone like it's absolutely fine if I never run a marathon these things are all okay um so so yeah I do set goals but they're quite chill so last year's goal was 10,000 steps a day which was pretty life-changing um and I love the way that like to the point on just creating habit I love the way that they just become normalized so you can like integrate these things and then just become completely effortless my focus this year, so I'm not setting a goal, but I'm trying to have a focus, is around being more focused. So I'm trying to do less stuff at one go. And I would say that it is day two and I am challenged, <laughs> but I am trying. So they like 
inherent structural problem with the way I've built my life is that there's an awful lot of shit going on. So that's like three revenue streams across two businesses plus an advisory role. One of those revenue streams is a consulting business where we have a hundred plus clients. Like, that's an awful lot of noise. And so being focused is really challenging. Um, but I am just being really clear with what I need to achieve every week, month and quarter. And I've got two people who are holding me super, super accountable to those goals and getting really comfortable with like thinking about the year in chapters. So this, you know, January is absolutely a chapter about work. February is a chapter about adventure, um, investing in my relationship and like kind of mapping it out like that and having a sense of what, what matters within that and being able to communicate to all the people who'll be impacted, like what that month is going to be about. So my boyfriend is very aware that this is a work month and I'm out of here. But I find that really helpful. He just has to make the yogurt. He just has to make that yogurt bowl every day. (laughs) No, I find it it really helpful to be able to say, this is what I'm doing and this is what I'm going to do after that and here's why I'm doing it. And this is like the way I've made those decisions. So focus is my kind of word of the year. keep having fun man <laughs> just uh yeah i think we touched on it a bit in the end of 2023 pod uh just turn off my phone for 12 hours out of 24 every day so like 8 p.m to 8 a.m uh yeah like it's not hard but it's it's a total game changer not looking at it before you go to sleep and not looking at it when you wake up and then uh play chess on the tube so like an app rather than just some of the most mindless scrolling is on the tube and especially when you look at other people who are just like oh Am I like that? Just people just like, what are you doing? Like 45 year old men scrolling like TikTok, like what are you doing? So yeah, just uh, play chess on my phone. So when someone looks at me on the tube, they're like, oh, that guy's playing chess. Not that's good. With a proper board on the You play the person off. On the app tech, you have to get on. And with a oh, I wish it was a board. You need to do that. Nah, because then you're just someone that wants to go viral because, oh, isn't this guy kooky? He's playing chess on the tube with like, nah. No, obviously I'm not on Yeah, you a chess player? Uh, I used to play a lot as a kid. I I, I like I like it. Um, I I never really kind of um, I don't know. I just kind of fell by the wayside. So I I do enjoy I do enjoy right, chess, but I, I definitely not on my phone. <laughs> Absolutely not. I think, but you just said like have more fun, and then and then you said chess where I lost you. <laughs> Those two are natural bedfellows. Of course, yeah. chess and the each to their own. <laughs> For I sure. just think, I think uh, this really... is a, you've never played chess then. I've never played fun chess. That's where I've gone wrong. I think I think there's something in it though. Like we can optimize and optimize and we can all have these like really lofty like work, well-being, zen goals. And I do sometimes worry that we're just losing the fun in it all. Yeah. That's the that's got to be the point. To have fun, like exactly. I know the founders want to talk about purpose and the universe and like existential questions, but like let's just have some fun. Someone said to me <laughs> no? the other day, a friend was like Tell me your great grandparents' names. Do either of you know your great grandparents' names? This like uh, choked yeah, me I up. Do, I do know. Uh, yeah, I do know one. Okay. You really? yeah. So you know one. Great. Correct. I do not. I do now because I've frantically gone away and found the answers to this. And she was like, "That's how long our legacy is going to last. Like, we're a generation or two below us, and then we're just dust." And I found it really moving. And it just really made me think like, what, like, what is this wealth creation, value creation, like professional impact, like, so what? And if we're doing all of this optimizing to have another day where we're great at work, like, is that really what it's all about? So I just liked that you put fun at the front of it. Mm-hmm. I think we could all remember that a bit more. I heard the other day that 
we all have the same destination in the end, which is death. So all we're left with really is the journey. The only thing I'd say is that our grandparents' generation didn't have like nice podcasts to look back on. So like, yeah, we'll forget <laughs> them because they never left a digital. This is like... going to be listened to in millennia. <laughs> I'll, be surprised, I'll be surprised if it is. Our egos have taken over. I see. Yeah, and of course we're different because we're making content. No, but like our great grandparents, like there's no digital footprint. Like this, if someone had the mad urge to, this will be on a hard drive somewhere. Like, as in like, the re- half the reason we've forgotten those people is because they're just not, there was no like evidence, like, unless they've, I've got my great grandfather's memoirs, basically, that he wrote down. Yeah. Uh, but like, there was less, there was less possibility for your average great grandparent to create something that will accessibly and quickly be viewed by like, uh, by future generations. And that's not the case with our generation. The point is you're still going to have so much content that it still gets lo- lost in the ether. You know? Yeah, but it will still be relevant. Okay, so for example, my mum just turned 70. And uh, oh, I said this to you, I think. Yeah, this is lovely. Like, went nice. down and uh, uh, lives in Brighton. And uh, yeah, just recorded like her seven decades. We just had a chat and she just like told me what happened in zero to 10, 10 to 20, etc. And it wasn't really for any, it wasn't for her. Like cause she sort of knew it was there. Like I learned a few things that I didn't know about my mum. But it was mainly so it could like her great grandkids, if they want it when they're 30, it's there. Like, yeah. So I'm not sure what the point is. Yeah, we're all going to die, obviously. <laughs> we're all so going to die. There's going to be a load of stuff on the internet. Build some businesses. Let's have some time. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Well, yeah. that feels like a wonderful place to end. Um, Lottie, before we go, where can, where can people find you? LinkedIn is my LinkedIn. There we go. Give Lottie a follow. Place, <laughs> yeah. Need the followers. Um, yeah, LinkedIn is, my, is the best place to track me down. Love it. Well, thank awesome. you. Thank you so much. Close your brain and look alike this. <laughs>